have a little seat. Um, you can grab that cup of coffee now. I know Amanda said for you to put down that cup of coffee, but I agree with her. And now I'm saying that you can pick it up. You can sip, you can sip your coffee beverage while you're listening. Um, now, what, what's interesting about technology is that I, I know that some of you are watching this uh, online experience, and maybe you're not a regular attender of Faith and Victory Church. And so sometimes when I talk, I talk directly to my church, which isn't to say we don't welcome you. We're not glad that you're here. We're glad that you are. But uh, this is the greatest means of communication that I have right now to talk to my church. And so sometimes you got to talk a little bit about church business. I saw where are we at as far as like there's about 50 people on YouTube. How many people are watching on Facebook right now? Anybody know? Somewhere around there. Anyway, so here, here's the thing is that how many? 50. All right. So there's at least 100 households. So this could mean there could be 300 different people, maybe 400 people that we're talking to right now. Um, regardless of where you go to church, but specifically to Faith and Victory Church, I just want to kind of begin to ease you into the reality of like, this will not be how we do church forever. And uh, not too far in the distant future, we're going to start to have um, more worship experiences. You know, we, we did the drive-in thing this morning. It was great. Um, but as things begin to change, we're going to begin to have in-person services. And so I'm encouraging you to get your mind wrapped around what that's going to look like and what it's going to mean for you. And specifically what I want to talk about is that for, for many of us, uh, and you included that's watching, there's going to be different people that are at different places in their health and their, uh, just where they're at and, and what they can handle and what they want to do. And so I just want to encourage you as, as your pastor that first off, it is completely okay whatever you're comfortable with moving forward. Like, if driving service is what you can handle, great. If in-person is what you can handle, great. And there's going to be people that are going to wear masks, not wear masks, people that are going to want to be close to people, people that are not going to be close to people. And what I want to encourage you is to remind yourself that you don't know what somebody else's health condition is. You don't know what they're dealing with, what kind of diseases they have or immune problems. It's not your business what they're dealing with. And so it's also not your business to shame them if they uh, don't feel comfortable being in a closed room or if they can't wear a mask or they don't want to wear a mask or they need to wear a mask. I don't, I, 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 I want you to feel comfortable with whatever it is that you need to do. But at the same time, I need you to not shame or ostracize somebody else that can't do what you can do or won't do what you'll do or whatever. Um, the last thing we want to do during this time is allow Satan to use this as a means to turn the church towards uh, each other fighting. Cause I, I see this kind of stuff happening online and, and, and we're not going to have faith and victory church of the masked and faith and victory church of the unmasked. <laughs> Right, like that, that, that's an identifier we're not looking to, forward to. And so begin to change your hearts and minds. Um, the uh, Muckleshoot Casino is opening up this week in Auburn, Washington. And so it just kind of makes your pastor's head turn and think like, eh. So, uh, you know, the president said what he said on Friday. And I don't think the politicians got a chance to hash it out this week. So uh, we will probably see that this week. Uh, it's way above my pay grade, but... Um, it's definitely something that we are thinking about and talking about. Make sense? Say amen to your television screen that I can't hear. All right. Heard that one. Fantastic. All right. Now listen, you tech team and worship people that are still here. I need some amens this morning. I need y'all to help. There we go. All right. Need some help this morning. Let's And my wife. All right. Let's pray for this message. Father God, we love you. We praise, we glorify you today in the mighty name of Jesus. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, we've uh, worshiped your name, God. We pray now that you would speak directly to us, God. I pray that as I preach this message, that your heart would come out, Father, that it would be about you, for you, and to you, and nothing else, God. We thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in 2 Samuel 17 this morning. We'll be in verses 15 through 29, New King James Version, if you want to follow along. I think it's going to be on the screen behind us as well. It says, Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over lest the king and all of his people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed at Enrogel, and they dared not be seen coming to the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. Both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharum, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. So the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where am I? Ahamaz and Jonathan. So the woman said to them, They've gone over by the water brook. When they had searched and could not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. And he put on his, put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. And David went to Mahanaim and Absalom crossed over the Jordan and he and all of his men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Job's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. You guys still with me? Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, the people of Ammon, Makir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gilead, Gileite from Rogalim, brought beds and basins, earthly vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the curd, excuse me, cheese of the herd. It's like a tongue twister, man. Jeez. Honey and curds and sheep and the churd. For David and the people who were with him to eat, for they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Whew. This story has a lot of twists and turns. Uh, the, the, the simple part of it is that, remember, Absalom is David's son. Absalom has taken over Jerusalem, taken over the kingship. David is running with people once again, uh, like he was running with uh, his people away from Saul. And so now David's gone out in the wilderness and there's all these spies and people that are talking about who said what and who's going where and Ahithophel commits suicide because his advice wasn't taken. There's, there's just a lot of twists and turns. He, here's, here's what I want to talk about this morning though, and I believe it's what the Lord has for us, is that there's a nugget at the end of this story, which I think kind of speaks more directly to what we're going through right now and the message that the church needs to hear for today, and it's this is that we are and must be sustained by the Lord God Almighty. 
Uh, there is nothing else more important. In this story, what we see at the end of it is that David is running. David is uh, uh, away from his throne in Jerusalem. Absalom still wants to come after him. And, and they're away in the wilderness, away from everything. And God provides for David and his people. I think it's a very clear message for us today about God's provision. Uh, about how God will take care of his people no matter what the circumstance and no matter what is going on. And so my hope for you today, this morning is this, is that you would believe in, trust in, know that God is a provider and that he's going to take care of you. So let's get into it. We serve a God that provides. At the end of this story, David shows up and there's three guys from the Amorites and you saw the tongue twister that I had in trying to describe those names. Um, he, these three guys show up and they're from the Ammonites. Now what's interesting, a little side note, you probably have heard uh, Amman, Jordan, the, uh, the capital of Jordan. That's, that's present day where the Ammonites were come from. That's why it's called Amman because it used to be called a, a, a different things. But leading up, that's the exact place where those guys were from. These guys are not the sworn element, uh, enemies of, of Israel, but at the same time, they're not their sworn uh, allies either. They're kind of in limbo. They fight with and against them at different, different times throughout the Bible. And so what happens is, is that David shows up with his men and there's these other guys that kind of know what's going on and they see this as an opportunity to provide for David and his men. And so we find David in the wilderness in need of provision. Paint the picture here. He's away from Jerusalem. He's away from his stores and his men are out there and they're hungry. They're tired. They're weary. And out of nowhere, nowhere shows up these three guys that decide to give all of David's men the provisions that they need. We see it in verse 48. It says that they brought beds, basins, earthen vessels, and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who are with him to eat. For they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Now, I'm not exactly sure what parched seed is, but if I was hungry, it sounds pretty tasty. Amen. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff in there that sounds tasty. All the things that people say that you shouldn't eat. Bread, wheat and barley and flour. Hallelujah. Uh, honey, there's sugar, there's curds and cheese of the herd. Dairy, people say that you shouldn't eat that. And, uh, and sheep also. There's, there's meat to eat too. Eat it all. That's what the Bible says. Um, I'm really excited about that part. Uh, We're not going to talk about uh, second service. I always start thinking more about food. Um, Here's, here's the point from the enemy or not. It is clear that David was hungry. He was, he was fed by God almighty because God provided some, a light reading of the scripture might say, well, the Ammonites provided for, for David. Did they? Because God has to move on the hearts of somebody to be able to give. And people that are, people that are, uh, uh, against you or people that are not with you, like the Ammonites were not, were, were, were with David and, and Israel, they have to have their hearts moved. And the person that moves that heart is God. God is the one that does it. Throughout the Bible in life, we see that God provides what is needed for his people. Amen? David believed this. Uh, he believes in provision. Psalm 65, nine, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. Now, sometimes it's water. 
Sometimes he uh, uh, provides food or protection and direction. Sometimes he provides grace and he provides power, but it is God that provides it. Uh, the Bible says all good and perfect things come from the father of lights in which there's no variance, shadow or change. Anything that you get in your life that comes through, comes through God almighty. That's what happens when God takes care of his people. And sometimes he just provides the strength to endure what you're going through. God providing you strength to go through something is still God's provision. Even though you may not get the tangible blessing that you want, even though you may not have the tangible thing in your hand, God can give you the strength to be able to endure that which you're going through. This is why Paul was able to say in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all of your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We serve a God that will supply all that you need in Christ Jesus to go through whatever it is that you're going through. And he'll provide you his grace to have. I mean, grace is not just grace in sin. Grace is the ability to be able to endure that which you are going through. That's grace. That's God's grace. And he gives you that grace that abounds to be able to endure. Second Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all. Will you go take care of those things? Whatever that noise is out there. Will someone tell that noise to stop in Jesus' name? We're back to people being around. It's done. It's over with. Jesus name. Some of you live streamers are like what's going on out there. It's nothing illegal or dangerous. There's some out there that's causing your pastor to be back to normal where I'm distracted easily. We were saying in second Corinthians nine, eight, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you're walking with God, he will provide for you. It's a guarantee of scripture. Now, what does it mean to you? Have you forgot that God is a God that provides and provides for his people? Have you forgot that? Many many of you have, have been going through this season of your life and you have forgot that we serve a God that provides. You forgot that. Are you putting more faith in your government than your God? Are you hoping for more stimulus checks instead of hoping for more grace? No, let me say this. I got my check and I cashed it in Jesus name. Okay, vote against all of them, take every one of them. That's what I say. But you cannot begin to trust in your government as your provider. You can't do that at all. You've you've got to be able to realize that God is your provider. He's the one that takes care of you. Psalm 78, 20, behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams flowed. Can, can God uh, give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Yes. Yes, he can. He provides manna and quail in the desert so he can provide for you as well. Don't, don't get into this mindset that says that, that, that it has to be the government that provides for me, or it's got to be my job that provides for me, or it's got to come from somewhere else. No, God is your provider and you've got to get that mindset and everything that happens in your life. Everything that you have comes from the Lord. You know, when, when Crystal and I first got married, 
uh, we, we were um, living in our tiny little house down in Texas, 209 Easy Street. We love that house. We always said that Easy Street was going to be uh, the street that was always easy, and it was true. Our $42,000 house with our $365 payment. Uh, I was in the army and, uh, I was not making a lot of money, maybe 1500 bucks a month, something like that. And I remember we got to the end of the month. Now just roll with me on this. Some of you, some of you people listen to this. You know, a pastor tells a story and then everybody always wants to use it against him. You know what? Just listen to the story. This is how it's going <laughs> to, how it is. Okay. Crystal and I were newly married, only been married for a couple of years. And we have money issues as most newly married people do. And so there were some bills that we had to pay and they were coming on Monday. And so me and Crystal were like, man, well, we're just going to pray and believe God. We're just going to pray that God's going to provide man in the wilderness. And so we're alone. We're down in Texas. And so we did what any good Christian couple would do is we went to go and pray over our mailbox. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, now good charismatics would say you can only pray with olive oil, but we, we were so poor, we didn't have olive oil. All we had was Crisco. And so we went out, we went out there with our, with our Crisco and rubbed it on the mailbox. We said, well, that seems dumb. That's not biblical. Listen, we just were doing whatever we could to try to reach out to God. We figured money was going to come through the mailbox. Let's pray over the mailbox. That's where it's going to come. So we went out at night. We went at night because we didn't want our neighbors to think we were being weird. But we went out there and we rubbed some oil on our mailbox. And then all weekend long, we just begin to pray and say, Lord, will you provide for our family? God, would you bring provision, uh, make great things happen? And lo and behold, we prayed on Friday and Monday, a check came in the mail. And, and, and people say, well, that seems weird and miraculous. It was for us. It was God speaking directly to us. Um, now what's interesting is that we prayed on Friday and this check that came was from somebody who lived in Seattle, not a family member that on Tuesday and, or Wednesday had actually sent the check to us and just said, and this person has never sent us money before and never since <laughs> did they ever send us any money. And, and, and they just said, man, we just wanted to bless you guys. We wanted to give you guys some money. And it was just more than enough than what we needed to be able to take care of us during that season. Why do I share that story with you? I'm not telling you to go out today and rub oil on your mailbox. I'm not saying that at all. The point is, is that we serve a God that provides. In ways that we, we don't think or understand. I believe that God will do what he needs to do to provide for his people. Water, food, clothing, provision, protection, that's easy stuff, but it's even more than that. Jesus provides for us spiritually, amen? In John six thirty five, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In addition to physical provision and protection from Father God, he fulfills us spiritually, Amen. He gives us endurance and peace and grace and mercy and strength and kindness and gentleness. He gives it all. We serve a God that provides more than we could ever ask or imagine. And don't just get caught up into the, 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 the tangible I needed in my hands type blessings. He can take care of every last spiritual blessing that you need inside of your life to be able to take care of any situation that you may or may, or may not be going through right now. Matthew 6, 8, therefore do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Do you know that God knew what you needed right now back in January? God knew what you needed last year for right now, that God prepared your heart and your finances and your life for a season just for right now. 
He knew, he knows what you need next week. He knows what you need next month. He knows what you need in the fall. Don't worry about it. God already has seen it and God's already going to provide it in Jesus name. Now, secondly, it doesn't mean it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle because people hear those types of things and they say, oh, well, there he goes. Prosperity guy. No, sir. I read my Bible. I believe that God's people will prosper, but that does not mean that God's people will not struggle. Because the Bible is very clear that God's people struggle. This whole story, remember, David was struggling in the wilderness and he was weary and hungry before the provision showed up. It didn't say that he went out and was full the whole entire time. No, he had to walk through a period and a season of struggle before God provided the provision. You won't praise God for his provision unless you see that it's him that's providing it. (laughs) How can you thank God for his provision unless you've had to go through a struggle to see him provide it? Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 and 4. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that a man chastens his son. So is the Lord chastens you. The nation of Israel went through it in the wilderness. This is why reading your Bible is so important. But this is what the nation of Israel, for 40 years, they struggled in the desert. They learned to trust God and they learned that God will provide. They struggled for 40 years. It's a long time. And and, and honestly, during this time, my wife and I prayed this back in March when all this happened. I said, Lord, let this go on as long as you need to break people. Let it go on as long as you need, because honestly, within the church, outside the church, people in America, not in America, we're such indulgent, overfed individuals that aren't broken. And so what, what happens is, is that we go through a time of like, oh, I'm stuck at home and, and my shower's too hot. We're in the middle of a pandemic where I'm trying to not gain weight. This isn't what the, this isn't the zombie apocalypse that I in, uh, envisioned. <laughs> I mean, me and my daughter literally call it panic ice cream, right? I mean, and, and then we're, we're trying to act like we're Israel in the desert for 40 years when we've only been going through this for two months. I mean, come on, man. It's bad, but it's not that bad. You know, you're on your cushy couch. Binge watching television shows, trying to not gain weight, talking about, I understand the persecution of the church. Come on, man. <laughs> this idea that Christians will never struggle or go, any, go through anything just isn't right. It isn't biblical. There are Christians globally that have been dealing with uh, a disease and pandemic their whole entire lives. There's Christians globally that die for their faith every day, every day. There are Christian brothers and sisters that we have all over the world that go hungry all the time. And so why, how, how can we as Christians go through what we're going through and say like, oh man, I never had a struggle like this. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's real to you, but can we have some perspective to realize that compared to the rest of the world, you're still doing okay. You're still doing okay. 
little side note, part of the problem with breaking the American economy is Americans are the ones that give the most money to those other countries to help feed our brothers and sisters that need it. The promise of Jesus to his disciples in Luke 21, 16 was not a promise that you'll never go through anything. It wasn't a promise to say your life was going to be perfect. No, here in many places, he said, you know what? You're going to be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. He said in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I mean, Jesus didn't promise that as a follower of him, that you weren't going to go through anything. That wasn't a promise at all. He said, people are going to have to go through things and people are going to hurt. And if you look at Christians over the course of the last two millennia, we've had to go through a lot. And if this is our moment and this is our time, then this is our moment and this is our time. But we can't believe that just because we're going through a struggle, it doesn't mean that God doesn't provide. You're still going to go through a struggle sometimes. As much as God is a provider, just because you're going through it doesn't change who God is. Listen to the word of God. He will sustain you. He will take care of you. Not a hair on your head will be hurt. You might walk through the fire, but you'll come out not smelling like smoke. You might sleep in the lion's den, but he won't eat you. There's many promises and stories in scripture of God providing. Jesus loving the fishes, manna from heaven, quail from heaven, all these different things. And then we go through a moment in time where things aren't exactly perfect. And we don't get a, you know, go to all you can eat sushi. And we feel like God is in God. Come on, man. I understand people say, well, you know, steak's $15 a pound, but you can still get some of that ground beef. You can still get some of that ground pork. May not be stir fried rice, but there's still rice. Amen. (laughs) Nehemiah 9.21, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Just look down at your belly and be like, he is still providing. Amen. He is still taking care of me. I've struggled a lot in my life. And I, you know, I don't talk a lot about my struggles. And the reason why is because I don't like talking about my struggles. I don't like complaining about them. And I don't like, I just don't. But the truth is, is if I was, (laughs) if I was really honest, which I'm not going to be right now, but if I was, I've struggled internally, externally, mentally, spiritually throughout my whole entire life, man. Things that I, I, I don't care to speak about or things I don't care to talk about. And the reason why is because I want to give God the glory. I don't want to give any glory to any of my struggles. But personally, what I've done is I've never used those struggles as a means to stop serving God. I, I've never, you know, gone through abusive things or gone through painful times or gone through horrible things and said, well, God must not be God. I should probably start serving him. I mean, I, I haven't lived a perfect life since I was 15 and I got saved. I've had marital problems and physical problems and all these other problems, but I didn't use them as an excuse to say, well, God must not be God because I'm going through something. I'm struggling. No, in those times, the times I closed even closer into him that I reached out to him even more and I prayed more and I fasted more and I worshiped more. The truth is, is that death is provision. We, we serve a faith that is barreling towards death. <laughs> like we welcome it to live as Christ and to die as gain. We get so worried about all these other ancillary things when the whole point of this story is we get to go live and be with Jesus for he- uh, in heaven forever. So why why do we why do we live afraid? Why do we live in fear? 
Why do we live all these times? We're going through a struggle that's not even likened unto death. And we can believe and know that God is going to take care of us. Even though we're going through a desert. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12. See, we'll, we'll, everybody knows Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And people think it's about touchdowns. Verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Is he talking about an American state there? Okay. <laughs> Come on, that was kind of funny, wasn't it? Whatever state I may be in. Whether it's an open state or a closed state, I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he drops the bomb. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wasn't, I mean, go and read what Paul went through. And I, I, I would say there's probably not one person I know that's been through what Paul went through and was still able to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Can you just pray that you can get through this with your cushy bed and your hot showers? You say, Lord, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Romans eight thirty five. who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? sword? Why do I say sword? Sword? Who shall separate? The answer is nothing or no one. Nothing can. Whether you're hungry, whether you're well fed, whatever challenge you may be going through, Christ still loves you and he can take care of you. Here's the next part of it. We serve a God that provides. You might still go through a struggle. It doesn't change who God is. Here's the other part of it is that you have to be generous in the midst of God's provision. Part of understanding God's provision is understanding our own hearts. See, God is generous with us. So we should have hearts of generosity as well. See, David knew that God was a generous God. He said it in Psalm 51, 12. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. See, David had experienced God's generous spirit. And so he wanted to declare it to everybody else. And so for us, we should have that same mindset. If God provided for you and took care of you in the struggle, you should have a generous spirit as well. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. Now I understand that pastors will use that as a tithing verse. And I believe it's a verse about tithing. But, um, and, and let me say this. When we start talking about being generous, people like, oh, here you go, talking about money. We already told you not to give. We already said that God doesn't need your money. The people of this church have been so abundantly generous with everything that God has given them over this time that, that the church has lacked for nothing because people have continued to tithe and give offerings through this whole entire season. So don't get that in your head at all. This is about the word and what the word of God says, which is we're supposed to be generous. And so when it says the first fruits of all your increase, if someone blesses you with 10 apples, is your first thought like, great, 10 apples for me? Or is your first thought like, man, five for me, five for someone else, three for me, three for someone else, four for one. You can do the math. You know what I'm saying? Because a heart that's generous looks at when God is generous with us, it's a means for us to be generous with somebody else. Because some people 
will go through a struggle and then you become the means that God uses to bless somebody else that's going through a struggle. Proverbs 19, 17, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. You know, when Crystal and I went out and we prayed uh, of, to receive uh, increase to take care of our bills, we were not praying that a person would provide for us. We were praying that God would provide for us. But the spirit of God moved on the heart of somebody that they would become generous and give to us. And then in, in turn, we didn't praise them. Honestly, I don't even remember who it was. Years later, I remember that God provided. They didn't get any glory. They didn't get any recognition. And hopefully that was their intent. Because I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was. But I'm praising God because of it. And the only reason why is because that person was generous. Generosity is the heart of God. He is generous with us. We should be generous as well. And what does that mean to you? I want you to search your hearts this morning and ask yourself, am I stingy? Am I stingy? Do I, do I hold on? Do I hoard? Am I afraid to give? Because the truth is God is generous with us. We should be generous with other people. And I'm not just talking about money. You've got to live with an open heart and an open hand, generous with your time. And I'll tell you, for me, that's the most convicting thing for me. I have no problem being generous with my money. Me, it's like the conviction for me is generous with my time. I don't know why, but whenever I'm spending time doing anything, I'm always thinking about something else I could be doing than what I'm doing right now. I don't care what it is. I don't care whether it's watching a movie or spending time with my wife and kids. I'm always like, I could be doing something else. And then I start doing that and I start thinking about something else I could be doing. I struggle with being generous with my time. Uh, are you generous with your knowledge, what you know, with your heart? Do you open up your heart to other people with your skills and everything else? Here's some great scriptures. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There's one who scatters yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than it is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. I love it. What it says in Proverbs 28, 22, and it's in the ESV, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Jesus said in Luke six thirty eight, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. <coughs> Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. That's where we say, that's what we say every time we take a tithe for the last 17 years. Don't do it if you're not cheerful about it. Be excited about giving. And I always say, give your best stuff, man. Being generous doesn't mean giving your leftovers. Some, some of y'all been cleaning out your house and got a garage full of junk that you're waiting to take to the Goodwill when it opens. And you're thinking, man, I'm being generous with these people. That's your leftovers, man. That's the stuff you don't even want. Give your best. Give your stuff that has value. Crystal and I always talk about like, you know what? It's fun being generous. And so if you've got something, and oftentimes the Lord has moved on our heart, we have something we want to sell that's a value. And the Lord says, don't sell it, give it away. But the heart says, well, if I sell it, I can have more money or I can buy something else. And God says, just trust me, have a generous heart. <laughs> and so we'll give it away. 
And then we'll watch like months, years later, someone will give something back to us. And the economy of generosity is so much more exciting than the economy of stinginess. Amen. Give your stuff away that has value and watch what God does. And here's the other part of it. If we're talking about provision and struggling and, and, and generosity, I've got to say it. We, get, we have to learn to not trust in our money. We cannot trust in our money. David said in Psalm 62, do not trust in oppression nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Just because during the season, and these are weird times, and I... <laughs> I'm pretty political, but it's kind of funny. I don't believe in socialism at all, but the only free money I've ever got is through Republican presidents. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But but we can't we can't begin to hope in the government as our provider. Like I said, it was really fun to get a check. Great. It's fantastic. But we can't let that to be our hope. People are like, when's that next stimulus coming? Do praying for that holy stimulus coming from the Lord Jesus. Quit, quit worrying about what the government's going to vote in or what free stuff you're going to get. Don't, don't worry about that. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said to them, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It almost sounds like Jesus is quoting the Old Testament scripture of Deuteronomy chapter 8 that I, that I spoke. Interesting. Jesus used the Old Testament. Hmm. All right. The provision of God comes in many forms, often in the form of money. Yes, I get that to get what we need. But you cannot trust in money as your provider. You can't say, oh, if I only had money, I would be fine. Because God can do supernatural things. God can take care of bills and God can take care of provision. God can bring people that follow the word to be generous into your life. And you can see God move. Do not think that a piece of paper is your provider. It's not at all. Economic collapse is possible, but supernatural provision is possible as well. God can provide outside of a monetary system. I mean, do you not think that there's Christians in Venezuela that God is providing for? Do you not think that there's Christians in Lebanon and Christians in the Sudan? Like all these different places that people live, there's still Christians there and God is still providing for them. They're not trusting in money. Here, here's the truth and, and, you know, I, I know that we're getting back to church because I'm starting to get a little bit more spicy about it. <laughs> Done being down. Let's go. Hear me. If you are in America, you are rich. You are. And, and, and they want to redefine poverty. Poverty is just a word. Rich is just a word. You won the lottery by being in America. Okay. That we're literally having logistical problems from how we can get free food to hungry people right now because there's free food to be had. If you've got running water, a roof over your head, if you've got a car that runs, if you've got a microwave and a flat screen digital TV, you are better off than 90% of the world, man. You are. I mean, we literally have a government that's giving us free money, a government that's giving people free food. I mean, it's like you won the lottery by being in America and then when people want to play these games and compare themselves to Zuckerberg and Gates and be like, I'm not as good as them. That's not, that's not the litmus test, man. The litmus test is, did you eat this week? Did you take a hot shower this week? And so the Bible says in first Timothy six seventeen, command, command, doesn't say lightly encourage, command those who are rich in this present age to not be haughty, 
nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And no matter where, what level you're at, you can begin to start to trust in, in money as your provider. I don't care whether you're working for minimum wage or your paycheck looks like a phone number. Like you can begin to think that money is your provider and it's not. Money is not your provider. Jesus said in John six twenty seven, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the son of man will give you because God, the father has set his seal on him. Amen. Money is worthless. It really is. What's funny about money is that we only, it only has worth to us because we think that it has worth. You can go out into the Amazon jungle with no one's ever seen it and hand them a hundred dollar bill and they'll be like, I can light a fire with this. It'll be fantastic. It only has value because we think that it has value. Don't put your trust in it. Here's the, here's the last part of it. Just seek God and don't worry about it. <laughs> Just don't, ma'am. Let me show you Psalm 63. We're rounding the corner. Don't hang up. Don't, don't turn it off yet. Just, I know that you want to go to Walmart or something, but stay with me. What's so funny about the digital age is that if you get tired of hearing me, you just be like, you know what, man, I'm tired of this guy. Pew. In church, at least I can shame you for standing up. I go, don't leave. All right. All right. Psalm 63. This is, uh, this is actually, um, it says Psalm 63 in my Bible. It says a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Most commentators believe that he wrote this right now when he was running from Absalom. And he said in verse one, O God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is larger than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. See, even though David had experienced the provision of God, he didn't stop seeking after the Lord. We must never stop seeking after God. God's word is abundantly clear that we need to be consumed with the things of God, not amassing stuff. Not to worry about where our next meal comes from or whether or not we will be clothed. Let me show you this one. This is a really good scripture. Luke chapter 12. I can't help it. I want to read you the whole Bible. We'll do that sometime. All right. In Luke chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus said, he said, and do you not, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Do not have an anxious mind for all these things are the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you for do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms, provide for yourselves money bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where there, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Amen. Have you lost sight of the most important thing? 
Have you lost sight of the God that provides? In the midst of the crisis, it's easy to become focused on things that are not the Lord. And I want to encourage you today to focus on Him. Worship Him more. Read your Bible more. Pray more. Spend more time with Him. Listen to more sermons that glorify Him. Because if you seek first after God, all these things will be added unto you. That's what Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about when. Don't worry about how. Don't worry about what you're going through. Just focus. Focus on Jesus and watch what will happen. Psalm 34, 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Last scripture, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, before you leave this morning, I want to encourage you, if you do not know Jesus, I want you to become a Christian today. And it's really quite easy if you're a Christian or you're not, if you've given your life to him or you haven't. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never called out to God and asked for forgiveness of your sins, I want you to get on your knees right now in your living room, raise your hands to the heaven and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I don't want to live for my sin anymore. I want to live for you. And and Jesus will receive you, forgive you as you walk away from that sinful life and live for Jesus. Get a Bible, a good one, not the NIV. (laughs) Begin to read it. Find a Bible-believing church. Find a Bible-believing church and learn to live for Jesus. If you made that decision for the first time, go ahead and send us an email. Send us a message. We have some stuff we could send you. And when the doors are back open, we want you to come back to our church. For the rest of us, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you this morning. God, we thank you that you're a God that provides. God, in the midst of our struggles, we will continue to worship you and praise you. God, we will continue to be generous. Lord, we will not trust in our money. We will seek after you because we know it's only you that can provide. It's only you that can can protect. And so we give you all all the glory and honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, I thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in with us today. Uh, Make sure you, uh, you know, let us know how you're doing. All right. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Bye.